Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. If you have your Bible, if you want to pull it up on your phone or open it up in your lap, I'm going to park in the eighth chapter of Acts here in just a minute, but i got to lay some biblical groundwork before we get there together. On the screen for your reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, as Paul begins to make his way into wrapping up this letter to the Corinthian believers, as he was known to do, he paraphrases a previous writing and passage, and he says in a parenthetical insert in verse number two of chapter six, for he saith, this is the Lord speaking, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now, everybody say now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Look at that last phrase with me again. He says, now is the accepted time. And behold, now, everybody say now. Now, right now, is the day of salvation. I want to take that phrase and lift it off the page and let the Spirit of God help me preach for the next few moments on the day of salvation. The day of salvation. Look at somebody next to you. Tell them today is the day. Come on, tell them that. Today is the day. Look at the person next to you that you've been trying to ignore the last 30 minutes and tell them, Today is the day. Paul says that today is the day of salvation. Salvation is a churchy word. It's a biblical word. And it doesn't always penetrate the soul the way it needs to when we hear that word because most of us don't speak Christianese. But when you hear the word salvation, whether you're in church or out of church, when you hear the word salvation, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, when you hear the word salvation, that there is something that comes to your mind that the word salvation means to you. I want you to ask yourself, What does the word salvation mean to me? What do I think of when I hear the word salvation? When a 
preacher gets up in a church service like this even now and he says the word salvation or he quotes a scripture that has the word salvation or he says he's going to get up and preach about today being a day of salvation. What does salvation mean to you? Well, I'm not really interested in what it means to us in our differing opinions. I'm more interested in what salvation meant to God because what it means to God is what it should mean to us. So I got in my Bible and I, I pulled out my Greek lexicon. New Testament was written in Greek and I, I don't speak Greek and I really can't read Greek. So I looked at what the Greek lexicon of the word salvation means and it simply is defined as follows. Deliverance, preservation, or safety. I'm going to read that again to you. Salvation is defined as deliverance, preservation, or safety. Hence, while we hear the word saved, the word saved, which is very popular among Christian circles, to define their experience and state of eternal relationship with God. One says, I've been saved, or someone leaves a revival, or they leave a church service after having an encounter with God and placing their faith in him. They say, tonight I got saved. And what we may say in our evangelistic, aggressive approach one to another by being a soul winner and a witness, we may ask you a question, have you ever been Saved, And you cannot have the word saved without linking it to the very meaning of the word salvation. For salvation means to be delivered, to be preserved, or to have safety, meaning you have been saved from something. So we must answer the question. Saved from what? Saved from what? And I'm sure many of us could pass the microphone around and we could have some Christian karaoke by way of testimony tonight. And many of us could declare with our own mouth and bear witness of such a truth that we have been saved from many things. Some of us in this room would testify that we have been saved through Christ from addictions. And some of us would say we have been saved from distorted lifestyles. And some of us would say we've been saved from generational cycles. And some of us would would say we've been saved from self-inflated self-righteousness and we've been saved from religious traditionalism and we've been saved from bad habits and we've been saved from abuse and abandonment and all of that is good and for most of us all of that is true but I want to tell you something today it goes much deeper than some horizontal life experience or a bad chapter somewhere in the previous places of the book of our life being saved the Bible tells us goes much more than bad habits bad experiences and bad decision making for Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 9 much more than being now justified by his blood watch this we shall be saved from wrath through him I don't know if you heard the last part of that but I'll read it again, we shall be saved from wrath 
through him. May I remind everybody in the room that has believed upon Christ, there was a time B.C. that you were in debt over your head to God because you were a sinner who comes short and you were a sinner who would never be good enough in your own standing to ever be let into heaven. You were a sinner and no moral compass you could attain would ever be something that could grant you the free pardon and forgiveness of your own sin. And you came to a place in your life, maybe at the age of 10 or maybe 10 days ago, where you recognized and realized that in your own goodness you fell short, but there was a God 2,000 years ago that saw you ahead in time and he came to this planet as a sinless man. God turned man and he who knew no sin, he dwelt among us as his brethren. And the Bible teaches and tells us that Jesus gave his life and he died a gruesome, horrible death on a cross for execution. And that same Jesus that died, he was buried. Can I tell you the story one more time? Can I reminisce with you one more time? I can't tell it enough and I can't say it enough. I can't preach it enough. I can't shout it enough because it's still real to me right now as it was 21 years ago. And it's still real to me right now as it was to believers 2,000 years ago. So if you'll excuse me for a second while I clear myself off a spot and I plant my feet and I preach the gospel and tell you that he who died, he was buried. But my Bible tells me that he did not stay dead because on that Sunday morning, he rolled the rock away and he rose from the dead and he walked out of the grave and he took the keys from the devil and he claimed salvation for all who would believe. I need a witness in this room if you know that Jesus, he was the reason. He was the remedy. And bless God, he was the rescue so that all who believed could be set free. Somebody at New Grace, help me bless him, praise him, and give him a shout. I forgot where I was going with that, but I'm glad I went there. My Bible tells me that when he saved us, that debt that God wanted to settle, that vengeance that almighty, holy, righteous God had built up towards our accumulating account, he settled it and he satisfied it. When Jesus became sin for us and he gave his life so that you and I could go free. Saved from wrath. Everything God's got bottled up for the end time judgment on planet earth. That's why you hear us talk about there's coming a day where we're going to be leaving. Because the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. He's not coming back to the planet. Not yet. He just stops halfway in the clouds. The archangel, like a herald, goes before him and sounds the trumpet. And every dead believer buried in the ground, that dirt is going to go to rumbling. Whether they were buried six foot under, their ashes were sprinkled out at sea. All that matter still had to go somewhere. 
And God's going to bring it all together in a celestial transaction in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And the dead in Christ, grandma in Christ, papa in Christ, uncle Johnny in Christ, mama in Christ, sister Susie in Christ, your unborn baby in Christ. Mm-hmm. In Christ, they go, the, the dead are going to rise first. And then we, everybody say we. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up, plucked, taken, translated, snatched out of here. And the Bible says we will meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then when he comes back, we're coming back with him. And we ain't stopping in the clouds for a lemonade break. We're coming all the way back. But the reason he has to take us out of here is because he's got some things to settle with this planet and his Jewish brethren. And when God said we're saved from wrath, I believe we're saved from that. But I also believe that what we have to look forward to in judgment for everybody who's in Christ, we've also been saved from that wrath. Which meaning I will not be standing before him as a judge who will damn me because my damnation was placed on his son. And my damnation and condemnation was alleviated the moment I made him Lord, Savior, and God. And a a wonderful deal happened for God. Took all that that was on me and he put it on Jesus. He took all my unrighteousness and unholiness and he put it on Jesus. And then I like this part. He took all the holiness and all the righteousness that was on his son and he transferred it to the account of Derek Anglin. Saved from the wrath through him. And I, I got to thinking that there are many people who claim to be Christian because it is an easy label to identify with. But if we'll erase the word Christian and if we'll, if we'll for a second will evict the phraseology of believing in God. Because 90% of this room believes in God. But the Bible says that even the demons believe and tremble. And for 16 years, I believed in a God that I didn't know because I believed that he was real and I believed about him and I knew about him, but I didn't know him and he didn't know me. And at the age of 18, I finally found out what salvation was and what the word saved really meant. And as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about the baptisms we're about to celebrate here in a few minutes, and I was thinking about the need of this congregation, I asked God, could you take me to a portion of scripture that could show us what real salvation looks like. Just like three basic elements that I could lay out that would make sense to my friends and family here at New Grace today. And he took me to Acts chapter 8. Philip, a deacon in the New Testament church who began to operate in the role of an evangelist, 
went through Samaria, and in the region and city of Samaria, Samaria, there, there, there was revival happening. I'm talking about people getting saved and, and, and people getting free of demonic possession. I mean, it, it got so it got so ripe and good over there in Samaria. They baptized a sorcerer for it was over with. Yeah, bless God. We had Lord of the Rings meeting the Lord, right? I mean, it, it started it started as happening. Harry Potter up in the house getting saved, all that good stuff, right? And and the and the Bible teaches and tells us. That while he was in the middle of this revival breaking out in Samaria, which was nothing but the fruit of a seed planted in John 4. Oh, I, I ain't got to, I, we ain't got time for that. We ain't got time for that. The Bible says, watch this, watch this. In verse 26, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. Now, I want you to leave revival and I want you to go out there in the middle of nowhere, which is desert. And he arose and went. He arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a guy coming from what you and I would consider Africa, a eunuch of great authority. He's an official for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace is the same kind of label that we would use with Pharaoh or with prime minister or with president or with king or with Caesar. For the Ethiopian region, Candace was the same like, and it wasn't her name, it was her position. Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, and it says he had charge of all her treasure. So this is an important and wealthy individual. And he went to Jerusalem to worship. Now watch this, watch this, track with me right here. This man has journeyed all these miles to go to the city of Jerusalem to participate in temple worship. Why? Because he believes in the God of the Old Testament. He is there following the commands of the law as a proselyte Gentile. Watch this now. Believing that his sacrifice will temporarily atone for his sin. Believing in a God that we will refer to as Yahweh. Did you know that's the name of the God you believe in? Not Molech. Not Ashtaroth. Not Ra. Not Mudhaban. Not Allah. Yahweh. Or as we may render in our own vernacular, Jehovah. And he is there to worship Jehovah. Watch this. At this point... Jesus has already risen from the grave. Jesus has already ascended back to heaven. And now there is a new way to go to heaven, a new way to be forgiven. And he is going to the temple to worship Yahweh, but he does not know about Jesus. Maybe he's heard the chatter in the streets of Jerusalem there as he lined up with everyone else going into the temple for this worship ritual. And the Bible says that as he has come to Jerusalem, now he is leaving. Look what it says, verse 28, he's returning and sitting in his chariot. He's reading the Old Testament scroll of the book of Isaiah. Now Isaiah is some 60 plus chapters. There were no chapters or verse numbers. It was just a very large scroll and the average person could not get their hands on an entire scroll of Isaiah but this joker's got deep pockets and he knows a girl, right? He knows the girl large and in charge and so in his curiosity he buys this scroll and he's got this scroll opened up as he's riding in his chariot from Jerusalem all the way back to Ethiopia and what I like is he doesn't even know it but God is preparing him for what is about to happen in his soul. 
He doesn't even know it, but salvation is a matter of timing. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. Salvation is a matter of timing because here he is coming back, reading the word of Isaiah the prophet, and the Bible says in verse 29, then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. I want you to get this. Philip's in revival over here in Samaria. It's on like Donkey Kong. Here is the Ethiopian eunuch. He is leaving Jerusalem, heading all the way back to Ethiopia. Ethiopia, and God tells Philip to leave and go right here on this lonely, abandoned, isolated, barren stretch that runs through the desert. And while he goes, here he comes back from Jerusalem, and they intersect at the very point where this guy is reading the Old Testament scripture that Isaiah wrote. I said all that to say this. Before you ever got saved... God was setting you up when you didn't know it. <laughs> Some of y'all don't believe that, but I want you to know that it's been a setup and you come here today wasn't an accident. You having some of the stuff going on in your life you've been having going on what an accident. Some of the curiosity and the gears and the switches and the levers that are being pulled behind the scenes in your soul. It's not an accident because there is a God who sits on high and he looks down low. And the last time I checked, the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I wonder if there's anybody in this house today that remembers when you were lost, when you were blind, and you were dead in sin. Yet there was a God who was keeping watch and there was a God who was keeping his eye on the clock of your life and he waited till the right time. Somebody said it right years ago and they said you'll never get saved when you're ready. You know why? Because you'll get saved when God's ready. A man cannot come to know Jesus unless the Spirit of God draw him. And I want to thank God when I walked into that church at the age of 16, lost as a ball in high weeds and as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I want to thank God that I had been set up by the Holy Ghost. I had been set up by the Holy Spirit. I had been set up by the helper of heaven, the hound of heaven, and the hope of heaven. Is there anybody in this house that can help me rejoice? I didn't know it, but I walked into a setup. I walked into a trap because there was a God who had salvation on his mind, and he had me in his sights, and he was divinely orchestrating and setting things up, connecting dot after dot, day after day. I need somebody to help me call a timeout, clear off a spot, and let's bless God over the fact it was divine timing that opened my eyes, divine timing that saved my soul. Somebody help me bless him if you know salvation. It's a matter of timing. And the Bible says that salvation was also a matter of truth. Philip runs. He must have been in a holy hurry. He caught this man who was riding in a chariot. As he's running alongside this chariot, he heard the eunuch reading out loud the book of Isaiah. And he said, as he's running alongside the chariot, do you understand 
what you're reading. Verse 31. I've always pictured this like something out of Looney Tunes. He's reading this thing. Heard one scholar say that he was so wealthy and so prominent that he probably had someone else reading it out loud to him. Whether he was being read to or he was reading it, it was out loud. And to his surprise, there's a crazy, wide-eyed evangelist running next to his chariot. They said, do you know what you're reading? And inspired by the Inquisition, he said, how can I except some man should guide me? How am I supposed to know what I'm reading unless someone takes the time to break it down and lay it out? And, and the Bible says he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place, talk about divine timing, the place of the scripture which he read was this. You and I would call it chapter 53. He, speaking of Jesus, was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life? is taken from the earth. And many of us know this as a messianic prophecy that's pointing towards the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's a prophecy that would later be fulfilled in the actual events that took place during Jesus' death. And the Bible says this, and the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about some other man? My God, I like this part right here. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture. He didn't need a commentary. He didn't have to Google it. He didn't have to phone one of the elders from Jerusalem. It says he took that text in Isaiah 53, and right there he preached unto him Jesus. I'm glad that Jesus is the theme of the Bible. He is the treasure of the Bible. He is the truth of the Bible. And from cover to cover of the bestseller, everywhere you look, it all points back to God's Son in whom he is well pleased. Somebody give him praise if you believe that Jesus is the truth of the Bible. I wrote this down. Like Philip did for the eunuch in giving him truth, everybody needs clarity in truth and everybody needs truth to be their compass. When you are susceptible to the needs of your soul, you become open to whatever people tell you. Some of you have been told your whole life that if you don't keep this list of rules and you don't dress like this, and you don't act like this, and you don't talk like this, God will never favor you, like you, or love you. Some of you have been told that if you don't 
believe upon Jesus and get baptized and swing and bat a thousand thereafter, you could lose your salvation. I'm, I'm just, I want to ask a question, not for debate, but if salvation is not gained by moral perfection, how could salvation be lost by immoral imperfection? My, my, my father sits, Daddy, where you at? Where you at? Way back in the back. That's my father, Dave, William David Anglin. I was born November 11, 1982. Yeah, do the math. I'll be 40. November 11, 1982. And it does not matter what happens between me and that man in this lifetime. There is nothing that will ever change the fact that is my father. And I have made some bonehead decisions in my lifetime. And I have, some, I have done some things. If I was him at times, I would want to disown this joker right here. But do you know it is biologically, scientifically, and spiritually impossible for him to never be my father? I was born the first time to David Anglin, November 11, 1982. I was born the second time, a Sunday night, in the month of October, the year 2000. And when I was born the second time, I got another father. I got a new father. And I want to tell you, for 21 years, I have been walking with that father. I have been talking with that father. And I have not done everything by the book perfectly that I would think would be pleasing to that father. But can I stop and submit to you, no matter how low my decision-making took me, and no matter how far my sin and rebellion moved me. Can I tell you that David Anglin is still my daddy and Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Shalom. Are you hearing me? Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah is still my father. I think we need to call a timeout right now and give God a praise. If you're grateful and you're thankful that no matter what happened in this life, if you've been born and you've been born twice, then Yahweh Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that gave his only son, Christ, he is still your father. Let's give him praise if you believe that to be true. We need a truth that confronts us about our sin and a truth that introduces us to our Savior. And right there, he preached unto him Jesus. Can you imagine this? He started right there in Isaiah, connected the prophecy to everything that had unfolded through the gospel accounts of Christ from the time he was born in Bethlehem of a virgin named Mary, from the time he was 12 years old, where he debated with the doctors and the scribes of the law all the way through his first miracle, all the way through his death, his resurrection, and what it meant to have salvation and be saved. That I know, hey, eunuch, I know you just left the temple and you just sacrificed a lamb and you just believed in the keeping of the law to please Yahweh, but can I tell you that God has taken matters into his own hands, and he has given us the Christ, and his name is Jesus, and he is God, and he lives forevermore, and he wants to save you, and eunuch, eunuch, he's the only way. He's the only 
He's the only life. Eunuch, he's the truth, and there is no other truth. That's who you're reading about, and I know him, and I've been telling everybody about him, and unless you know him, he's never going to know you, and unless you get saved, you're never going to heaven where he is, eunuch. This is what's crazy. Verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. I thought they were in the desert. <laughs> See, when God wants you to get saved... When God wants you to get in, when God wants you to follow him, he's going to leave you with no excuses. All this divine timing and this divine truth. And then we see that salvation is a matter of transformation. Because they come to the water. Watch this. As they went on the way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, I guess Philip did a good job of explaining what being a Christian was. Because when they got to the water, the eunuch seeing the water first said, see? Almost like he interrupted the very end of Philip's exhortation. He interjected with a question. He said, see, here's some water. What's keeping me from getting baptized? And Philip, having already expounded the gospel, he said, if you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And I like how the eunuch adds this in and fills in the blank in case you're wondering what Philip was talking about. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I know there's nothing inserted right there after that period, but we have to believe at face value of what the Scripture teaches that the moment he declared with his mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, a spiritual transformation happened inside of his life. According to the Scripture, God forgave his sin like he forgave ours. His name remains forever etched in the Lamb's book of life and eternity. God became his Father. Some of y'all, I, I miss you on his sins being forgiven. I miss you. You weren't listening. His past sin, his present sin, and his future sin, all forgiven. He became a follower of Christ in that moment when he declared his faith. And here's what I love about, here's what I love about the eunuch. He was so real about what he believed that he backed it up with what he did. And the Bible says, after he confessed his faith in Jesus, watch this. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. When I was 14 years old, my parents put me in confirmation classes at the local Methodist church in Watkinsville. We sat in the moldy, mildewed basement of that church and we watched videos about a deranged man named John the Baptist and a limp-wristed white man named Jesus. And I remember thinking, this is just not, this is not real to me. I can't identify with this weak-chinned, effeminate man. I can't identify with him. 
I can't tell if he's God or a barista. I just I can't tell what, what he is. And Everybody all right? Nothing wrong with being a barista, but this... Anyway. <laughs> a couple weeks later, we went down to the front of the stage at the end of the service, and the, and the Methodist preacher looked like Grandma with that big old robe on. And he put his fingers in the baptistry. And he said some seance of a prayer. And he flicked me and my brother. And I remember sitting there. I was a lost 14-year-old boy before I got flicked. And I was a lost 14-year-old boy after I got flicked. And four years later, I went to a church where they was preaching it right and tight. Tight, but it's right, Rev. Tight, but it's right. And the Holy Ghost began to deal with me about my sin. And I remember going back to that little flick I remember thinking, I'm a good person. There's no way I would go to hell. I'm a good person. I mean, I've sinned a little bit, but not a whole lot. There's no way God would send somebody like me to hell. I got good parents. I'm a good kid. I'm a good brother. I'm a pretty darn good baseball player. God ain't going to send me to hell. And I responded to that salvation invitation that night, went to the pastor in his office, opened my heart to Jesus and became a Christian at the age of 18. And the pastor said, you know what your next step is? Now that you've had your conversion, you need your identification. I said, well, I got that out in the car. He said, no, no, no. You need to identify with what Jesus has done for you. And I said, I'm not sure I follow. He said, you need to get baptized. I said, oh, well, I did that four years ago at the Methodist Church downtown. That reverend, he flicked me and my brother. He said, what? I said, he, he put his hand in that little goblet and he flicked the water on us. He said, that ain't baptism. And he said, and even if it was, you were lost when it happened so you weren't identifying with anything that happened to you. And he explained to me that baptism was you identifying the same way Christ died and was buried when he disappeared beneath that grave, rose to the newness of life. He said in the same way, you're identifying with what Jesus did. The old Derek has died. And just like you're supposed to go beneath that water and we don't see you anymore, you're buried because the old you is buried. And the same way Christ has risen from the grave, you have come to life as a new creature, a new person, a new man. And you need to publicly pledge your allegiance and identify with what Jesus has done because this is the first step in you following him as a Christian and believer. And when someone, watch this, 
like the eunuch, said with their mouth, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then went as far as to wade into the water and be baptized by the hand and strength of another. They were publicly taking a risk and chance that they were willing to not only live for Jesus, but to die for him. I want you to get this, and I'm done. I'm wrapping it up. We're about to land the plane. Are you ready? We don't know nothing about the true risk and commitment of becoming a Christian here in the 21st century. Because there are more people in the last few years of this church's young existence that have raised their hands and with their mouth confessed to become a Christian and trust Christ. There are more people that have done that than would fill this room two or three times over. My question is this. Every time you see someone in the Bible becoming a Christian, the first step of their life and death commitment was to take the risk of wading into the water and saying, I am one of his. So here's where I'm a little confused. How is it that so many times people have supposedly given their life to Christ, but they're not even proud or loud enough about it to take the first step and go public? Moreover, if they became a follower of Christ, why aren't they still following him? Do you understand that there were people in church services that were happening in people's homes, homes of wealthy Roman citizens who had 8,000 square foot houses and large atrium-like rooms that could seat half this crowd and they would be in the middle of listening to a sermon and while the man was preaching about salvation through faith into the grace of God through Christ, men and women would get up and go to the front and say, I need to be baptized because I want to do what you're talking about. But now, we have to have people register and fill out cards. And we have, to, we have to have the lights down because we just got you to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I, listen, I, I'm not really worried whether or not y'all like this. I'm trying to do my job right here and honor God and tell you the truth because it might be the thing that makes a difference between heaven and hell. So I just... I'm not really worried whether or not you like it. And, and there's a suggestion box in that office, and it's got a shredder under it. You can go in there and, and, and submit one. Here's the deal. We have the lights down low. We say this prayer in the safety of the shadows, saying you need to be saved because you don't want to go to hell, and you know you need Jesus. And then it's everything in the world for you to actually raise your hands, mind you, in the dark, to say, yeah, I just trusted that. And then you're on the fence whether or not you want to get baptized. And then you're on the fence whether or not you even want to go back to church. And you're on the fence whether or not you actually want to be a Christian. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as straddling the fence. There is no such thing as standing on both sides of the railroad track. Watch this. Either you're in or you're out. Either you got it or you don't. Either you're saved or you're lost. There's no such thing as being almost saved. There's no such thing as being almost a Christian. There's no such thing as being almost believer. Because if you're almost saved, you're all the way lost. 
dude, that's tough truth. You keep preaching like that, nobody's going to come back. I feel like the harder I tell the truth, the more hungry people line up to hear it because they are sick and tired of mandy-pandy, limp-wristed, panty-waist, vanilla wafer-eating, tiptoe around, beat around the bush, cushion it, and push it. I think people are ready to hear what thus saith the Lord, and they want an unapologetic, unafraid, and unashamed. I need the truth because truth leads to transformation. He said, I'll do that. And the conversion led to identification. And then in dramatic Acts fashion, the Spirit of God caught Philip away, translated him to another region, and the Bible says, look at it. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He didn't walk off looking like he'd been weaned on pickle juice. He did not walk away with his knuckles dragging the ground, pooch lip syndrome. He didn't walk away with some mundane, mediocre experience with God. This joker walked away on cloud nine. And I just believe in the sovereignty of Almighty God. It was God's way of saying, let's flick the gospel all the way to Africa. Just one seed that'll go back and everybody, I bet you by the time he got back to Ethiopia, everybody on the chariot, the guy reading the scroll, the servants that were tending to his need, bless God, I bet you even the horses got in before they got back to Ethiopia. The eunuch found out through divine timing and divine truth and divine transformation, faith and identifying with Jesus, that that was his day of salvation. How many of you could testify by a raised hand? You remember your day, like the eunuch, you remember your day of salvation. For how, how many of you, you remember it was on a Sunday morning, raise your hand. How many of you was on a Sunday night, raise your hand. Mine was on a Sunday night. How many of you, it was not at church, raise your hand. See some of them hands that just now went up? Some of them got saved in a bathroom. Some of them got saved behind a steering wheel or a dashboard. Ashley, didn't you get saved in front of a dashboard in a car? Some of them got saved in a jail cell or a detox center or a recovery program property. You want to know why some of these people are so happy and excited? It's because they're still doing their rejoicing. They're going on their way, rejoicing over their day of salvation. And don't you critique them or judge them. Don't mock them or make fun of them. You weren't there when Jesus transformed their life. So you better get out of their way while they rejoice their way to heaven. Stand up with me. Heads about, eyes are closed. 
We're going to worship for a second before we baptize some folks. How many of you would say, I remember well my day of salvation and I'm still rejoicing in my day of salvation. I remember when divine timing intersected my path. I remember when divine truth opened my eyes. And I remember when divine transformation, like the eunuch, saved my soul and I started taking all of the steps to walk with Jesus, including baptism. Hold that hand up if you're loud and proud of it. You still remember and you still rejoice in it. Can you just praise him? Come on, can you clap your hands and praise him if you're still rejoicing in that? Father, I ask you right now to be with us in this time of worship. We thank you that through salvation in Christ, we're able to walk out that living proof. Living proof that sets us apart from the world. Living proof that authenticates and validates that we are who we say we are. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the pleasing, the pleasing faith of our Father. And we thank you for the life given by Jesus Christ. We give you praise and glory. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.